Hello, and welcome to Court Achieviate's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we have been discussing here at Court Achieviate. I'm Olivia Wingrove, MPS Investment Analyst, and this week I am pleased to be joined by Richard Carter, Head of Fixed Interest Research, and Ben Barringer, Global Technology Analyst. Good morning to you both. So last week was another strong week for stock markets, with the S&P 500 sealing its longest streak of hitting record highs since 1964. On Wednesday, we saw October's US Consumer Price Index reading, showing that prices were rising at 6.2% year-on-year. This was a sharp increase from the 5.4% increase we saw in September, and it led to a tough few days for shorter-dated Treasury bonds, as investors continue to speculate on the Fed needing to lift rates sooner than expected. At the same time, we've seen US consumer sentiment hitting its lowest level in over a decade, reflecting these inflation fears and the diminishing confidence in the Biden administration. I think the prevailing theme at the moment remains one of uncertainty. Uncertainty over the re-election of Powell, uncertainty over Northern Ireland, and a general nervousness around central bank policy. So Richard, if I start with you, Biden's decision on whether or not to reappoint Powell for a second term as Fed Chair. It's been a particularly difficult process this time round, and it's amidst a trading scandal that has really damaged the Fed's reputation. It goes without saying that US central bank leadership is critical, and he's really cutting it fine with Powell's term ending in February. Why do you think this is, and is it worrying investors? And perhaps you could tell our listeners a bit about the other candidates for the job. Well, you're right; uh, they are cutting it a bit fine. Although I suspect we'll we'll hear something about it this week once uh, Biden's finished his his virtual summit with President Xi of, of, of China. And and it's been a, you know, actually markets had expected the process to be fairly simple. They were just reappoint Powell, and then um, we found out that Leo Brainard was also. Uh, involved in the in the process, and she'd she'd been to see Biden in the White House. So there do there does seem to be two people in in the running for the job. Although I suspect Powell will end up being reappointed because uh, that would probably be the most uh, straightforward and predictable um, option. I mean, I don't think markets are too concerned about it. Frankly, I, I mean, the, the key the key for investors is you know are we suddenly you know are we suddenly going to get some hawkish person running the fed who's going to want to raise interest rates and you know deal with the inflate emerging inflation problems and, and the answer is frankly no uh, either we're going to get quite a dovish person in jay powell taking a uh, being reappointed or someone even more dovish uh, like Lel brainard she's been on the um on the board fed board for some years now she overlooked she involved in overseeing the banks and, and she's seen as being uh, even more dovish on inflation than he is, so um, I don't, I don't, I don't think whoever's appointed will, will cause too much of a, a problem for investors. Thanks, and I think typically U.S. presidents have gone for continuity rather than a change in leadership. But uh, whether this is going to be the case, I guess, remains to be seen. But uh, as I said, another era of uncertainty this week has been over the post-Brexit Northern Ireland trading arrangements and. Last week was dominated by confrontation between the European Union and the UK. Over the weekend, um, we saw a meeting in an attempt to de-escalate these tensions and assure Brussels that Boris Johnson doesn't want to trigger Article 16. It doesn't seem that much of a resolution was reached over the weekend, although it also doesn't seem that a triggering of Article 16 is imminent. Um, We actually had a question uh, on this from a listener this week, just asking how serious could a trade war with the EU be? I mean, surely both sides would lose out. Where do you see this going, Richard? And perhaps you could explain a bit about Article 16. 
Yeah, it's uh, without sort of dominating the whole podcast and going back to Brexit, uh, I'll try to do that and be brief. I mean, I think the first thing to say is, look, there is no such thing as getting Brexit done uh, and, and then forgetting about it. Our relationship with the EU uh, will evolve over time. That's going to involve lots of negotiations. Uh, obviously, Northern Ireland, is, Northern Ireland is going to be a big part of that. So I don't think we should, should be that surprised. Um, Article 16 effectively uh, deals with the protocol surrounding trade in Northern Ireland. If, if either side feel that um, the, uh, the terms of the Brexit deal and, and the protocol are causing uh, problems with uh, trade in other areas, they can, they can basically trigger uh, Article 16, which is basically a load of safeguards to try and deal with some of those problems. Um, and there is sort of varying degrees of how you can do it. You can sort of go and change lots of things in the protocol or maybe just sort of, you know, one or two things around, I don't know, sort of checks on, on cooked meats or, for example. So it really, um, you know, they could, the UK side could end up triggering Article 16 in a sort of fairly soft and limited way, um, or they could go the whole hog and, and, and sort of rip up the protocol. And, and that kind of matters because it goes back to the question about the trade war. You know, if the UK just sort of do a fairly limited kind of, um, you know, changes of the, of the protocol, then the EU will probably respond in a limited way. If the UK just scraps the whole thing uh, and says we're not going to have any checks whatsoever and basically we're, we're ripping, up the, ripping up the protocol, then that could lead to something of a trade war. And ultimately that could lead us back to a sort of no deal Brexit you know, WTO, WTO term scenario. So that would be pretty bad. Um, hopefully we won't get to that stage. And I suspect that these negotiations will sort of try and work out a, a solution. Uh, and the last thing the UK needs, given Brexit and everything else, is, is to enter into a trade war with the EU. Yeah, I mean, I think the UK's pushback on this is not is not entirely surprising. I think a lot of these issues were foreseen, but obviously this is you know, straining the relationship between the UK and the EU. Um, but turning now to more positive news and looking at companies, and we saw strong markets over the last month and last week really coming out the other side of the Q3 earnings season. And much of these returns have really been driven by technology companies, particularly in the US. But with that in mind, people have been getting worried about valuations. I think this is a great opportunity, great opportunity to bring Ben in. I'm really keen for your thoughts on what you think has really been driving this tech rally. Are you concerned about some of the high multiples that we're seeing in this space? Good morning, Olivia. Yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, look, it's uh, it's very interesting. I think there are three things that drive tech share prices, and this is exactly what we talked about right at the beginning of the year. Those three things are tech fundamentals, um, growth and valuation, how the relative growth and valuation of the sector looks, and then and then thirdly, interest rates. And so let's just dig into those three things quickly because I think that gives you a really good picture of what's happening. So fundamentals in IT are pretty robust, actually. Um, 2021 has seen growth in IT spending of about 4 4.5%, something like that. And that's a recovery from 2020. But that doesn't tell you the whole picture. Within that IT spending there is a huge diversity of, of growth and decline. So projects like you know, digitization projects, cloud computing projects, artificial intelligence projects, cybersecurity projects are all on the rise. Companies during COVID realized that they've got to move faster um, towards you know, um, 
handling less paper, but moving more online, using IT uh, to really uh, make them more efficient. Uh, and artificial intelligence you know, really plays into that. Obviously, uh, cybersecurity plays into making them more secure because in a COVID world, we're all working from home. And so cybersecurity um, opens up more attack surfaces. So that's the positives. And then the negatives have been you know, declines in things like servers uh, and desktop computers as well. So we're very much focused on those cloud providers, those digitization providers. Um, and the interesting thing that's happened through 2021 is that all the projects that got signed off at, uh, through COVID to make companies more digital, those are now being implemented. And so you've seen an acceleration in the last three, four quarters in the growth rates of the big cloud providers. So that's Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, and Google. In fact, they, they've accelerated from 28, 29% uh, this time last year to most recently in Q3, 39% for Amazon Web Services and Google and, and Microsoft growing even faster than that. So, so look, you could play it through those cloud providers, but then there's also a secondary impact, which is you know the companies that are making the components that go into those data centers and here we like businesses like amd and nvidia and, and tsmc that are really allowing um, those data centers to get up and running but also um, things like artificial intelligence meaning more um, uh, ai and, and predictive analytics are being done uh, in the cloud then the final uh, area is um, is software right software companies are benefiting uh, from being able to deliver their their software in the cloud, classically known as software as a service, but basically you're, you've got one version of the software which uh, which is distributed. You know you don't need to package the software anymore; it's distributed over the internet. And what that really means is having one version of the software gives means you can do um, less maintenance R and D and more you know new product R and D. It also allows you to collect data on, on the way that your software is being used and, and sort of do what's called A-B testing. So is this version of your software better than that version? You can test it uh, literally on, on users. And, and then also you know, get feedback uh, from those users on how they're using the software. The, the final thing to say about software is when you start using artificial intelligence and in software, you can get you can make this the software adapt to the way that the user is using it. I always think of this like computer games. Nobody reads or even has a manual for a computer game. You just learn the computer game as you go through. And software, I think, will continue to evolve like this so that you learn the software and the software learns about you as a user. So look, all those three things mean very robust fundamentals in technology and actually, in many cases, accelerating fundamentals. The second thing is that, that relative growth and valuation. Remember in 2020, tech did very well because basically it was the only game in town in terms of growth. Now, in the first half of this year, we've seen recovery in other sectors that were very depressed through the COVID period. But as we move into the second half or have moved into the second half and move into 2022, you know, tech's strong fundamentals are starting to shine again on a relative basis. So that's relative growth. And we think that looks reasonably well set. You're absolutely right to point to valuation. You know, there are some pockets of very overvalued in, in my opinion um software very high growth software companies but we tend to stick to the companies that are high quality and with reasonable growth and at attractive valuations so we think that there's still a um where we're playing in the sort of you know normally quite large but but sort of medium growth area we think those are, are actually the valuations are pretty good and that 
if you look at tech uh, valuations versus five years ago or 10 years ago, they are elevated, but no more elevated than other sectors within the S&P, like consumer discretionary, real estate or industrial. So we're reasonably comfortable with valuations. The final thing to talk about is interest rates. Uh, interest rates um, obviously affect technology because they are a long duration uh, asset. And so you know, rising interest rates means that tech could underperform. What we've seen is that when interest rate expectations jump suddenly, tech does underperform. But then as the market becomes a bit more comfortable uh, with the path of interest rates um, and, and the fact that interest rates are going to stay you know, lower for longer, then you know, the tech um, growth and reasonable valuation reasserts itself. So quite a lengthy answer, but hopefully that, that helps with uh, what's been happening in Q3. Thanks, Ben. No, that's, that's hugely helpful. And I think it's I think it's interesting because obviously the huge amount of stimulus that global central banks have deployed in order to steady the world economy has obviously contributed to some of these strong stock market returns that we've seen. And I think what's causing some nervousness amongst investors is a worry about when a you know a justified post-COVID shock rebound becomes bubble territory. And I think this um this ties in quite nicely with inflation, which we obviously can't not mention. Um, which I think if I sort of phrase this question in two parts. We've seen a more dovish tone across most central banks this past week, despite a rise in inflation pretty much across the board. Obviously, the recent US CPI figures added fuel to the transitory versus persistent debate. What's your view on this? And we hear a lot about the risk of raising rates too rapidly and a policy mistake being the key risk to markets. But um, could inaction be a policy mistake? You know, is the Fed being too dovish? Uh, I don't think we've reached that situation yet where people think they're, they're being uh, too dovish. You could argue that uh, given that CPI is 6%, they shouldn't still be doing QE and rates should have gone up. But I think, uh, and Janet Yellen, you know, Treasury Secretary, was talking about this at the weekend, you know, a lot of the issues around supply chains, uh, labour shortages, higher energy costs, and they're not going to be solved by raising, interest, by raising interest rates. All we're going to do is is punish the consumer more and slow the economy. So um, I think for now, central banks are going to sort of stay uh, fairly dovish and hope that, uh, although I think the sort of transitory debate has been somewhat lost, I think it's more, more about seeing persistent inflation, they'll still hope that uh, as COVID cases are sort of come down and as people get back to work, the whole um, inflation numbers will start to come down second half of next year. And then they then they they you know they won't be too concerned about um having having to push interest rates up. But as I say, I don't think markets are concerned about central banks being too dovish at the moment, albeit um given where inflation's gone, it makes sense that they're doing what the Fed's doing and 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 just sort of gradually winding stimulus down. Great. Thank you, Richard. And, and thank you, Ben, for those great insights. Before we go, I'd like to take this opportunity to plug a few upcoming events, which I'd be sure not to miss. Firstly, taking place this week, our award-winning Power Planner Breakfast Hour is back. Make sure you tune in each morning, 8 till 9am. Our guest speakers will be covering key, current key topics, as well as looking into the sectors that they believe will be impacting your client's portfolio over the coming years. Over the next month, Joe Fairley, co-founder of Green and Black's Chocolate, will be hosting our three-part webinar series called Conversations That Matter as part of our Women in Investing initiative. Our experts will discuss the importance of having those sometimes difficult financial conversations to ensure that your family's wealth is preserved, as well as discussing why not all risk is bad. And finally, our bi-weekly live research analyst webinar series, Getting Back to the Future, continues this Tuesday, 16th of November, with the topic this week up for discussion, Small But Mighty. 
Join us as our analysts discuss what the benefits are in small cap investing, why we need to look at the AIM market, and is the IPO boom benefiting the small cap market? Learn how these asset classes might impact the UK markets in the coming years. You can visit our website to view the full schedule and reserve your places for all of these events. And for anyone who misses any, you can watch all past episodes on demand via our website. We hope to see you there. In the meantime, to stay up to date with our thoughts on markets and issues, you can subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter by visiting www.quiltachieviot.com. For those of you on social media, you will be able to see up-to-date content on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. All that remains for me is to thank Richard and Ben for both of their time today, to you all for listening, and to thank you for your questions as well. Be sure to keep them coming in. We look forward to seeing you at the same time next week.